Well, we are wrapping up our series on the book of Acts. Uh, we've been in this series for a f- <coughs> that time I swallowed the water down the windpipe. So let's see if I can recover from that. It was the solution, then it became the problem. <sighs> all right. Today we're wrapping up the series on the book of Acts. This series has really been all about studying the birth of the church, the beginning of the church and the leaders and the people that were starting this movement that we are a part of still today. And by studying how it was formed and how it started, we could learn what we're supposed to be doing right now as the church. We've talked about the Holy Spirit, real community, bold witnessing, serving the church, even when it's not easy. We've talked about conflicts and how to manage them, and today we're going to wrap it up by looking at the way forward. So last week, we talked about Acts chapter 15 and the Council of Jerusalem and this conflict that was happening between these Jewish Christians, these people who had been raised in the Jewish faith, and then they believed that Jesus is the Messiah and enter into faith with Jesus, and there was a conflict between them and then people who were raised Gentile. That means not Jewish, uh, Greeks or Romans or people from any other place other than Judea uh, who entered into a relationship with Jesus. There was this big conflict between these two factions in the church and the council of Jerusalem basically resolved this conflict. The conflict was all around circumcision, a little bit personal and private if you ask me. Uh, And and it was about whether or not these Gentile Christians were going to be called to follow all the Old Testament laws or not. They agreed on a resolution together, uh, and they clarified their theology of the law in the New Testament world that we're living in even still today. And if that all interests you and you're curious about that, maybe you've had questions about, uh, hey, why does it seem a little bit different in the Old Testament and the New Testament? Is God different? Well, the answer is no. God is always the same. Uh, But the, 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 the things changed when Jesus came because he was a completion of a lot of the law that we see in the Old Testament. If you want to know more about it, 10 years after the Council of Jerusalem, Paul wrote an entire book on this subject called the book of Romans. You go study Romans, just read the whole thing. You can read it through. If you're new to the Bible, read it in the message and Eugene Peterson breaks it all down for you in kind of what is a commentary adjacent version of the Bible. And you can read that with something like the NIV or the ESV, uh, which is what I usually preach from. And it will help you understand a good theology of grace and law and what all that means. Because Paul was still trying to help Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians understand this together. So that's what we talked about last week. And then we're going to kind of move forward. I'll kind of catch you up and then we're going to sit in one spot today. Acts chapter 16, right after that event, sees Paul meeting Timothy, who would become his ministry partner for a few years. And, uh, and then Timothy would be a pastor himself later on. First and second Timothy in the Bible are letters written from Paul to Timothy once he became a pastor. In this chapter, chapter 16, there's this story about a woman who sees the future because of a spirit that is in her. She's got some sort of a spirit dwelling inside of her, which allows her to predict things, but she's a slave and her masters use it to make money. Well, 
she starts following Paul and his ministry partner Silas all around and just declaring that these men are servants of the Most High God. And she's doing it over and over again and very loudly and it annoys Paul to the point that he just turns around and does an impromptu exorcism. Have you ever annoyed somebody so much they exorcised demons out of you? If so, it's an impressive move. Uh, Paul, Paul casts the demon out of her and then her masters are so mad at her, at Paul, for taking away this source of income that they get Paul and Silas thrown in jail. Paul and Silas go to jail, and while they're in jail, an earthquake happens, and all the doors of the jail swing wide open. Now, in the book of Acts, we've seen several miraculous uh, prison escapes so far, but this wasn't one of them. This was just an earthquake. And the earthquake happens, and the doors swing wide open, and Paul and Silas, they stay right where they are. So does everybody else who's in jail. And the jailer, he comes and sees the doors open after the earthquake, and he's so distraught, he's so worried about the punishment that awaits him, that he's about to fall on his own sword when Paul says, wait, 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 we're all right here, nobody left. And Paul uses this moment, this opportunity, to share the gospel with the jailer, and the jailer and his whole family are saved as a result of it. In fact, Paul spends the rest of his sentence at the jailer's house instead of in jail, sharing the gospel with his family. And then the next morning, Paul and Silas are released, and as they're being released, Paul fills out a comment card and says, hey, by the way, I'm a Roman citizen, and you can't treat me this way. And everybody's like, <gasps> because we didn't know that. It's kind of amazing. People born in Judea, Jerusalem are not natural Roman citizens. They are born in a colony of Rome, but they're not Roman citizens. But because of who Paul was, where he was born, and who his father was, he and Silas were both actual Roman citizens, which matters a lot at the end of Acts, okay? And so chapter 16 goes that way. In chapter 17, we see the gospel spread more across Thessalonica and Berea and in Athens. I love when the Bereans learn about the gospel from Paul because it says that they tested every word that he said against the scripture, which is always a good thing to do when you hear a new pastor preach. The Bereans, uh, and so we see the Bereans and Thessalonica receive the gospel. And then Paul goes to Athens and he gives this incredible sermon. One of my favorite sermons in the whole Bible. It's amazing. But the city of Athens is a very spiritual city. They love to add things to their spirituality. There's a lot of philosophers in Athens. Uh, and so they love to add things to their philosophy. And what uh, many of the people listening choose to do, instead of just receiving the gospel, some believed, but many people added the teachings of Jesus to their spirituality and added the teachings of Jesus to their philosophy. And the Bible's very clear that that is not what the teachings of Jesus are for or about. But there's a lot of people still doing that today. We see that in chapter 17. And then in chapter 18, Paul travels more around these different areas where he would write epistles to the, the letters that make up a lot of the New Testament. In verse 6, we see Paul gets so tired of the constant arguing and disbelief of the Jewish people uh, that he says he won't share the gospel to Jews anymore, only Gentiles. I think that's one of the saddest things in the whole book of Acts. You see, Paul made it his habit Paul was Jewish. He used to be a Jewish Pharisee. He loved the Jewish people. And so his habit was whenever he would come into a new town, the first place he would preach the gospel was the synagogue. 
He would go and they would have the reading from the Old Testament and they would read from it and then Paul would explain how that passage of the Old Testament related to the coming of Christ and how it was revealed in the scriptures and he would bring this gospel message but most of the time he was driven out of the city after those sermons. He was stoned almost to death one time. He was arrested. He was warned never to speak of it again. And he had undergone so much persecution in the place that he used to worship that Paul says in 18.6 that he will no longer bring the gospel to the Jewish people. He'll only bring it to the Gentiles from there on. And that, that's sad because I know how it feels to really desperately want some people that you love to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. But no matter how you present it, they still reject it. And by Paul's example, we learn that sometimes when you share the gospel, it just doesn't land. We have a responsibility to share the gospel and the Holy Spirit does his job by calling people to receive the gospel, but we have a choice. Not everybody makes it. And when that happens, sometimes you have to move on and share the gospel elsewhere. Don't fish in a spot where the fish ain't biting. A tough lesson, but it's an important one. At the end of chapter 18, Paul settles down into Corinth and he's there for a year and a half. And that's where he writes the book of Romans. And then he moves on to Ephesus and he meets a guy named Apollos. Apollos is this great preacher who does not have a complete understanding of the gospel. He means well. His heart is in the right place, but he doesn't understand. He hasn't gotten the whole story yet. He, he didn't know about the Holy Spirit or he didn't know about the completion of salvation through Jesus. What he knew was the baptism of John the Baptist. Before Jesus started his ministry, his cousin, John the Baptist, was telling everybody that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, that the Lamb of God was coming. He was preparing the way for Jesus and baptizing people in the Jordan River. He even baptized Jesus as Jesus started his message. Well, Apollos had heard all about John the Baptist and just was carrying on this work and telling him all about it, even telling him that Jesus was the Lamb of God, but he didn't know the whole story yet. And so he gets set down by some elders in the church and they tell him the whole story and he goes on to do great things after that, and Paul goes and meets with all the people who have been uh, with Apollos, and he kind of completes the job. He tells them the rest of the story of Jesus and about the coming of the Holy Spirit, and they all get baptized in the Holy Spirit, and it's this beautiful moment in the scriptures. And that brings us to chapter 20. And chapter 20 is going to be our passage for today. Now, there are eight chapters in the book of Acts that follow chapter 20, and I'm just going to kind of leave you hanging there. Uh, those eight chapters outline the trials and the hardships that Paul goes through once he's arrested. In chapter 20, Paul feels that God is leading him to go to Jerusalem. But the problem is that in Jerusalem, Paul is a very wanted man. He's in big trouble with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and the Jewish people in Jerusalem. The same people that, that fought to have Jesus executed are still fighting against Christianity in Jerusalem. All of his friends beg him not to go. I mean, they try everything that they can, but Paul knows that he's supposed to go to Jerusalem, so he goes to Jerusalem. And on his, on his way there, when he gets there, he's arrested. And what follows 
is a series of trials and persecution and jail time and shipwrecks and there's snakes even, which, you know, why did it have to be snakes? And then it ends with Paul awaiting trial before Caesar. He goes through all these trials and then he requests a trial before Caesar, which is his right as a Roman citizen. Now, the complicated thing is that at this time in history, when Paul is going through all of this, the Roman emperor, the Roman Caesar, was someone called Nero. And if you remember your history, uh, Nero was not the kindest of Caesars. In fact, he was famous. The thing that we remember him for today is his persecution of Christians. There was a couple disasters that happened during his reign in the empire of Rome, and he blamed them all on Christians, turned the people of Rome against Christians. Uh, He was known for burning Christians as lampposts at night along the main streets in the city of Rome. Uh, Regularly, he would gather up groups of Christians and throw them into the Colosseum and have them fight lions and tigers and bears, oh my, who had not eaten in weeks uh, and watched them get ripped apart. He would crucify them by the hundreds. Uh, Nero was a bad dude. But because Paul was a Roman citizen, he couldn't be persecuted the way that all these other Christians were being persecuted. Uh, He couldn't be crucified. He couldn't be thrown in the Colosseum. That was forbidden against Roman citizens. And so tradition tells us, Romans, Acts chapter 28 just leaves. Paul is in jail. He's he's living in a house in Rome uh, on house arrest, and he's waiting for his trial, and he's sharing the God. There's one point where he's chained to a Roman centurion, and this dude, this poor dude is chained to Paul the apostle, who does nothing but share the gospel until the guy finally converts. (laughs) This guy's like, this guy's like, could you chain him somewhere else, please? And, And Paul gets the guy and his whole family into a relationship with Jesus. He is going through these horrible things, and the whole time, all he does is share the gospel of Jesus Christ. No matter how difficult it gets, no matter how many trials he goes through, even things that you and I would count as failure to the mission that we are on, Paul counts as a victory for the Lord. It's what we see throughout the last eight chapters of Acts. And then it ends with him just on house arrest in Rome. We never find out what happened. But tradition tells us that he did appeal to Nero, and Nero had him beheaded. And that was the end of Paul's story. So in Acts chapter 20, it's this incredible, it's a cool chapter, because it is the moment that he's leaving his mission trips to go to Jerusalem before he goes through all that trial, and we get to see Paul's goodbye speech to the church that he planted. We get to read a lot of that through the epistles. We get a lot of his theology. We get a lot of what was going on in his mind during these hard seasons. Uh, The prison epistles that would come later, we learn a lot more. But this is his speech. Paul loved a good speech. And this is his speech to the church. Uh, Begins in verse 18. So we're going to learn from it today. So let's just read this speech and go through it with Paul. Uh, Verse 18. You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Holy Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, 
Except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves, will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciple after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Paul's goodbye speech. And it has so much within this speech that we as the church need to learn from today. So let me break down a couple things. The first thing that we see just obviously from his story and in this speech is that we are called to go where we are sent. To go where we are sent. To go where we are sent resolutely and without question. Throughout the Acts, and especially in the ministry of Paul, we see this recurring theme. He goes where he's led to go, where God calls him to go, <coughs> to where the church sends him to go. Paul understood better than most that in this life we are called to serve. Paul wrote these words, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. And this is exactly how we see him live his life. He lived on purpose, on mission, fully devoted to this cause that was ahead of him. Paul says, the Holy Spirit has bound him to go to Jerusalem and he knows that if he does it, Trouble is waiting for him. He knows that if he does it, he'll never see these people again that he has shared his life with these past few years. He knows that his life has an ex expiration date on it the moment he rolls into town. But it's what he's been called to do, and so it's exactly what he does. There is a lot for us to learn from this as a church. In this series, we've talked a lot about who we are as a church. 
We are a place for community. We are a place for healing, a place where you can worship. But we are also a people who are sent. As a people who are sent, we've got to go where we are sent. Be willing to serve in a way that is sacrificial. Put the mission of Christ and this call to make disciples at a place of priority in our lives. I just think that so often we end up adding faith to our lives. Uh, it becomes an addition point, like a hobby or an interest. We make church a checkbox on a long list uh, of things that we have to do. We pray when we are desperately in need of something, when our lives hit bottom, but otherwise it's an afterthought or it's just a quick something before we eat a meal. That's not what the call of Christ is. And it's not the call of the church. As the church, we are meant to go where we are sent. If you're a follower of Jesus and this is your home, don't hesitate to go all in to join us in this mission. You are the church. When I say we, the church, as we explore the book of Acts and all the things that the church is and is called to be and is supposed to be, I'm not talking about the 501c3 that we sit under. I'm not talking about the name, the sign, the high school auditorium that we meet in. I'm not talking about me or just the people that you see on stage. The church is the people. We are the church. And as we are sent, it is not just one of us that's sent amongst people, not one of us that's sent to serve and to be activated and to be used by God, but we are all called to be used by God as the church. Join us in this mission. I believe that you were created with a purpose. Ephesians 2.10 says you are God's handiwork. You could translate it masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works, prepared in advance for you to do. When God was putting you together, he saw the ways that you could be used to build his kingdom. So many people waste their entire lives searching for purpose. You are only going to find your purpose in the one who placed it within you when he designed you. You have gifts and passions that God put inside of you to be used to make a difference alongside the work of his church. We have been sent not as a person, but as a whole. Paul refers to us not as just one person, but as a body of Christ, with Christ at the head, and each of us acting as each different parts of the body, being sent together on mission to do the work of Christ in the city where we are planted. You have been sent. God has placed a calling on your life. His words are in the pages of Scripture, and they say, Go and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And it wasn't just a call that he gave to 12 people who were gathered, to the few hundred that were gathered that day. It was a call that would carry on through every generation to the people who would follow him. Go where you are sent. Don't just go to church. Join the church with reckless abandon to perform the call that Christ has placed upon us. 
Make it a priority because the call of God on our life, the call of God on our life is our greatest priority. Nothing was going to stop Paul from going where he was sent. Not the fear of death, trial, persecution, pain, the fear of leaving people behind, what he would lose, what he would sacrifice would never stop him from accomplishing the mission he had been called to perform. So many of us allow our inconveniences and our comfort to keep us from the calling that Christ has placed upon our lives. But we have been called to go. And so as the church, nothing is going to stop us from going where we are sent. Join us in that. Second thing is this. One thing that you can learn from Paul in this speech and all throughout his life, keep the main thing the main thing. Keep the main thing the main thing. Paul is talking about how hard all this is going to be. And he says, but I do not account my life of value, nor is precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. In all things, it is our responsibility to keep the main thing the main thing, to pursue Jesus, to pursue the, the spreading of his gospel above all other things. This is true for us as a church. Our first core value as a church is that Jesus is our message. Maybe you hear that, you think, well, obviously, you guys are a church, Jesus is your message. But it's a really important core value because there are a lot of churches that lose their way in all of that. Because we do a lot of fun things as a church, y'all. We got, listen, there's popcorn at church next week, okay? Empty calories for you to consume right here in this room. That was a good rhyme. I didn't even try. We have Easter egg hunts. We have parties, summer events, pops in the lot. We got all kinds of good stuff going on all the time. First Wednesday, we have all these opportunities for you to make friends and build community. And it would be easy to only focus on the building of community. Or it would be easy to only focus on the fun things that we do, the opportunities that we find, the different things, even just the pursuit of knowledge, things that we could learn and lose sight of the fact that we as the church are called to put Jesus at the number one position of priority in every single thing that we do. If we do something and it doesn't point some people to Jesus, it distracts people from Jesus, we throw it out as a church because Jesus is our message. We got to keep the main thing the main thing. <coughs> we can be a center of community. We can be a place for people to serve others. We can be a place to find freedom and to find healing. We can be a fun event for you to go through middle of the week. But as the church, we are all of those things because of Jesus, for Jesus, in Jesus. The moment it becomes more about events or community than it is about Jesus, we as a church have lost our way. It happens sometimes. And we have to consciously fight against it. And remember, like Paul said, Nothing matters more than moving the gospel forward in this city. We worship Jesus. We serve Jesus. We exist so that people can encounter Jesus, be changed by Jesus, and grow closer to Jesus. We also need to keep the main thing, the main thing, not just as a church, but in our own personal lives. 
There is so much competing for our time and attention in the world that we're living in. All the time, our, our schedules get full without our input. We have somewhere to be at all times. We have responsibilities. We have commitments. We have all these things that compete for our attention. Make space every day to keep Jesus first in your life. Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, If then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Practically, you can keep the main thing, the main thing in your life, by living by the principle of the first. Paul is talking about this idea here. This is an idea that we see in Scripture from the earliest pages of Genesis all the way to Revelation. The principle of the first taught through Scripture is that God deserves the first of everything in our lives. And there's some practical ways that you can add that principle to your life. I'll give you a few steps that you can take to keep Jesus as the main thing in your life. The first, very simply, is to start with your money. Because that's a powerful place to start. It has a lot of hold over your heart. In Deuteronomy chapter 14, 23, it says, The purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God first in your lives. Jesus says it this way, where your money goes, your heart follows. Let it go to God first. Give God the first part of your finances. And then give him the first of your time. Because the two things that you will idolize are money and time. Give God the first of your money and the first of your time. We do this in a rhythmic way here at church. We, uh, in January, we give him the first part of our year. We do 21 days of prayer and fasting to start every single year. We devote our year to God. We give him the first three weeks of the year. We fast and we humble ourselves and pray before the Lord. Join us in that. We also meet together on the first day of the week to give God the first day of the week. Make church a priority. Show up every Sunday and give God the first part of your week. And then give him the first part of every single day through worship, scripture, journaling, prayer, whatever it is. Give him the first part of your day. Now, maybe you, you've got the kind of schedule where it doesn't work for you to have your whole quiet time, your time every day with God, the, the practices of scripture and prayer that we've been learning and practicing the way this year. Maybe you don't do that first thing in the morning because you're not a morning person or it's not just doesn't work with your schedule. I oftentimes do it later in the day. But I do every single morning begin my day with prayer and worship. And you can too. Because it doesn't take a long time. You could take like, take, cut a Bethel song in half. That's going to be about seven or eight minutes. And put it on your worship album and put it, I go in my closet and I listen to worship music in my closet on my face and I just worship and I pray and I give God the day that I'm about to live. I always open up the Bible app. If you have the Bible app, that's the verse of the day. I meditate on the verse of the day. I pray and I worship. It takes about seven or eight minutes. You can, listen, did you know that the Apple snooze button is eight minutes long? That if you just don't hit the snooze and get your booty out of bed, you'll have eight extra minutes to go worship and give God the first of your day. 
I believe that that sets my heart in the right position for the whole rest of the day. Give God the first of everything. The principle of priority helps us to keep the main thing the main thing. Third thing that we learn is this. And honestly, if you're going to do a master class study on the life of Paul, this could be the thesis. Keep a clear conscience. Keep a clear conscience. You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable or teaching you in the public and from house to house. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Paul is essentially saying, look, I did everything I possibly could. I gave my all. I gave my life to this. And as I am leaving, I have a clear conscience. May you have a clear conscience. I'd, I'd put it into two different ways. Paul says in uh, 2 Corinthians 6, 3, we put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found within our ministry. In another place, he uses this phrase, to live above reproach. And I love that phrase. The idea of living life above reproach will free you. Let's put this in the two categories. First, keep a clear conscience with your character. I was hanging out uh, at a pastor's retreat with a group of pastors. And somebody posed the question, what is something that you are proud of? And a lot of guys going around the room were talking about accomplishments and budgets and buildings and people attending their churches, different things they were proud of. And one pastor looked at us and he said, I'm just proud to know and to be able to say before you all, that I have a clear conscience. There is nothing in my life that I wouldn't want my wife, my friends, and my church to discover, and I have left nothing on the table. And everybody was just quiet for a minute because we know him and we knew that he meant it. And the reality is that even in a room full of pastors, that's a pretty rare thing to come by. But it's so important. Paul's standing trial in Acts 23, and he says, he looked intently at the council, and Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. Protect your character, keep a clear conscience. Bring all your sins out in the open, deal with them, move forward, and keep it that way. I always say that there's, there's one thing in this life, aside from the love of God, that nobody can steal from you. Nobody can take it away from you. You can only lose it by losing it yourself. That's your character, your integrity. Protect it. Keep a clear conscience. Keep a clear conscience that way, but also the way that Paul's talking about right here is to keep a clear conscience in your ministry. Did you know that you have a ministry? 
It's not just pastors or guys who have their faces on trailers that have a ministry. It was just a weird, really specific dig at traveling evangelists. You have a ministry. If you follow Jesus, then beginning on day one, you have a ministry. God has called you to a ministry. He has created you to do ministry. You are a minister of the gospel. You have been called and set aside and set apart for the sake of the gospel. You have what it takes to bring this life change into the heart of somebody else, to serve in such a way that somebody's entire eternity is shifted. You have that power that potential, that ability dwelling inside of you and tangled up in your spirit and the Holy Spirit's union within you. You have a ministry. Don't waste it. And don't waste your life believing that ministry belongs to somebody else. Keep a clear conscience by doing the ministry you were created to do. Paul understood the urgency of the gospel. He understood it better than most of us ever will. He gave his life for it. He was nearly killed for it over and over and over again. And he just kept saying, you can take away my life. You can't take away my calling. I'm going to do what I was created to do until I don't have any more breath to do it. And even then, I will just keep on praising God for the rest of eternity. Paul goes where he's led to go, where God calls him to go, where the church sends him to go. Paul knew that in this life, we are called to serve. He wrote these words in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I just live it by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and who gave himself for me. Nothing else matters to me. Who I am, my dreams, my ambitions, my wants, my desires, they're dead. They died on a cross. And now I am whoever Jesus calls me and just sends me to be. Paul lived his life on purpose, on mission, fully devoted. He says the Holy Spirit's bound him to go to Jerusalem and he knows that if he does it, trouble's waiting. He knows he'll never see his friends again. He knows that his life is very likely got an expiration date on it the moment he arrives into town. But it's what he's been called to do, so it's exactly what he does. That's where he's being sent, so that's where he goes. There's just a lot for us to learn from that as the church. In this series, we talked a lot about who we are as a church. We are, we are a place for community. We are a place for those who felt left behind to feel found. For those of you who felt looked over to finally feel seen. For people who don't even believe yet to still have somewhere to belong. We are a place to bring your questions, your doubts, your fears. We are a place for you to find healing, real healing, not temporary band-aids, but to have the roots dug out by the one who made you. We are a place for you to worship, to step out of the craziness of your life and to walk into this sacred, sanctified space on a Sunday morning and encounter the very real presence of God. But we are also 
a people who are sent. And as a people who are sent, we have to go where we are sent. We have to be willing to serve in a way that is difficult, that is hard, that is sacrificial. We have to put the mission of Christ, the call to make disciples at a place of first priority in our lives. God's call to the church is a total and complete call to live like nobody else is coming. One of our core values is that our city is our responsibility. I think so often we walk right by opportunities to serve, opportunities to share the gospel, opportunities to show the love of Christ because we just don't have the time, we don't have the energy. Somebody else will do it. Somebody more qualified will come along. But we are the ones that God has sent to do it. We are the ones who have been called. What if that person in your life who doesn't know Jesus has been sent someone to intersect their path and that person is you? And what if you never took the opportunity? Paul says, or in the writer of Hebrews, oh no, this is Romans chapter 10, verse 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one who they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. We are being sent. We are being called to go and to bring this gospel message to a city in desperate need of it. So let's live with a clear conscience. You have been called, created, and set aside by God to share the gospel, join the church, and to be a people of God in that mission. This church was created for this purpose, to bring Christ to a city that needs him. And so that's what we're gonna do. And we're gonna do all that we can to keep going in the right direction until Jesus comes back. And he's coming back. I would invite you to join us. Go all in. Uh, I like to periodically kind of issue this challenge, this call. And I would issue it today. Give us a year. Give us a year and go all in. Not just a little bit, not the little toes in the water, not what you've been trying. Give us a year to go all in. Do everything that we ask. Go to practicing the way and start to develop the practices of Jesus in your life. Live your life the way that Jesus lived his. Be with Jesus, become like Jesus so that you can do what Jesus did. Get in a small group and start to get vulnerable and take your mask off and get into a real community where you are known. Go to the events, things like First Wednesday where you can engage with new people and make friends of your own. Join us when we serve around our city or, or globally on a mission trip and join us on the dream team. Be a part of what God is doing here. Find the gifts that God placed inside of you and how they can be used to serve the life of the church. The church is never meant to be a few people doing with a lot of people watching. The church is where we work together to bring the gospel to our city. 
And whatever your gifts are, however you were made, there is a place for you to serve here. We have ways for you to figure that out. If you don't know what that is, uh, right now during this service, our discovery class has been taking place. And that discovery class, that's what it is. It's an opportunity for you to go find out more about how God made you and where you could use that in the life of the church. It's on the second Sunday of every month during second service. Whatever that means for you, go all in, go all in. Start giving, start being a part of the life of the church. Go all in and see what happens. I believe that at the end of that year, you won't have regrets. You won't feel that you've wasted your time. You won't be frustrated with, with, it, with all of the moments that you spent serving others. I believe that at the end of that year, you would have a clear conscience that you have done the ministry you have called to do and that like Paul, you would be able to say that I go out into this place having bled all that I have to bleed, given all that I have to give, taken every opportunity that I had to share the gospel and I leave with a clear conscience. If you're in this space today and you don't know Jesus, boy, did, did you come to the right place. We wanna partner with you on a journey to know him more and more every day, but it begins by entering into that relationship and that's just done through prayer. Entering into a relationship with Jesus means that today, not in a few weeks, not once you've gone through a process, that today you can receive the forgiveness of Jesus, that today you can receive the gifts that he has prepared to give to you, that today you could join the mission of Jesus, and that today you could be filled with the Holy Spirit that would empower you to live a better life than you ever dreamed of. And if you're ready to begin all that right now, it just starts with a simple prayer. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Heavenly Father, forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for trying to do all this on my own, for all the other places I've looked. I need you. I believe in you. I believe that you are who you say you are and that you have rescued me and set me free. And so all that I am from this day on, I am yours. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.